Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Okay, good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. If you have not been to one of our services this morning yet, Daniel is a senior pastor of Mountain Springs Church in Colorado Springs. So we are going to dive straight in, if that's okay, with the first question that came in ahead of time, which says, oh, actually, before we ask this question, Dad, you also were born in Suffolk, though. Mm -hmm. So interesting dynamics. The first Mm -hmm. question that came in said, how did you end up in Colorado? Big question. Yeah, big question. Okay. Evening, everyone. Evening. Hello. Hope you're doing well. Uh, how many of you are following the Liverpool Man City game on your phones? Oh, dear. Okay, just want to make sure. I just wanted to know, and then which side are you cheering for, Liverpool or Man City? <laughs> neutral. neutral. How okay. can you possibly be neutral? That yeah, is not allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, you're a Liverpool fan. Uh, over Come here, on. I thought I saw a hand. No? Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We're all red in here. Well, Foden has already scored, but it was disallowed, so that's a terrible thing. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, let me uh, answer the question. The question was, uh, how did I end up in Colorado? So I was born in Newmarket. Uh, I was born on October the 9th, 1975. Uh, so I'm bearing down right now on my late 40s. Uh, I feel like I'm getting old. Who feels like they're getting old? Do you ever feel like your bones are getting creaky when you're in your 30s? You're like, what is going on with this? Um, so I left uh, Suffolk, actually, and this will timestamp it for you. I left in the late 90s, and it was um, three or four days. Um, it was the week following Princess Diana's death in Paris. She died, as I recall, on a, in the early hours of a Sunday morning. Um, and then that Sunday at church, it was all about Princess Diana. We left, my wife and I, and our daughter, Juliet, who was born here in Cambridge, we left that Tuesday or Wednesday. And we flew to Canada, and then I was a school of ministry intern in Canada for one year. Amazing God stories there and God sightings throughout that story. Um, and then we went from Canada to Colorado Springs for the job as a youth pastor. But I got to tell you, I walked into that church. It was the first church I was going to serve at. And I walked into that church and I heard the Lord say to me, and I thought it was the enemy. I heard the Lord say to me, I'm going to call you here to show you how not to lead a church. And I was like, that sounds concerning. So sure enough, nine months later, we left that church. But in my first three weeks, I was punched by a board member. I was thrown up against the wall and someone cussed me out and that was the senior pastor. And because I wouldn't prophesy on demand at the first Sunday service, some of the congregation questioned my salvation. (laughs) Crazy town, crazy town. Like it was crazy city and he was the mayor of the city. It was like mad. But anyway, I could unpack so many God stories there, but we ended up in Colorado. We then had a second child in Canada We've then had an additional 43, I mean five children in Colorado. So we have seven children. We have one grandchild. His name is William. He's fantastic. He was here in the summer. And so we came to see three in the summer as a family, took up one of the rows back there. And uh, anyway, that is a very, very condensed version of the collection of God sightings that took us from here to there. Wow. 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 Um, let's, just, let's just think about that for a minute. All the... the there. Wow. Um, There's a lot there. There was. We've had some more questions come in. Um, so thank you, everybody, for your questions. Um, 
Now, do we go, do we carry on on this theme, or do we go, okay, let's go here. You can go all over if you Do prefer. you prefer jigsaws or puzzles? Uh, probably a jigsaw, uh, honestly, um, but I don't do either typically. <laughs> I just had to ask but that. I do like games. Like, I do like board games. I do like games like <laughs> my kids and I will play Monopoly around Christmas time, especially on the iPad. Nice. Uh, because you Wonder can Liverpool. abbreviate the game oh, of Monopoly. Sorry. <laughs> Who, who's winning? <laughs> wow. Okay. That's okay. Man City will get three. Just give them time. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, I prefer board games. I asked Daniel just before, do you mind if there's anything we don't ask seriously? And he was like, no, nothing. But I bet you weren't expecting that one. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. This one kind of links to your, not that one, the previous question. Um, what kept you at the church in hard times? So in those moments where you were yeah. punched, what kept you there? So, so, so I'm an open book, so I'm going to speak very freely. And so you can certainly put this out online. But at the same time, I'm speaking to those of you in the room that are listening right now. So I am loyal to a fault, to a fault. And so I am so deferring, I choose and want to walk in humility. I also choose to believe the best, even when I'm often presented with the worst. Right. So with that being the case, until the Lord said there are new orders, the old orders remained. Mm -hmm. And so for as long as I, for as much as I wanted to be gone, I knew there was something to learn there. And you've heard the phrase, when you're going through hell, just keep going. Mm -hmm. Because the way through the valley is through the valley. And so I just kept walking, but it was hard, but God was also forming something in me of dependence and long suffering. I think in our culture, if I'm real honest, and I have a word for some of you, we want to push the eject button too quickly. Right. This hurts, I don't want it. I don't like this pain. I shouldn't feel pain. I want out of this. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our workplaces. And honestly, there are three stages to every relationship, every job, everything. Optimism, disillusionment, and commitment. Right. Optimism, everything is great. I love this job. I love this church. I love her. I love him. Disillusionment, I hate this church. I hate this job. I hate her. I hate him. Commitment, God has me here and there is something so beautiful that God is doing in and through this, and I'm committed to his cause through this. So was it hard? Yes. But was it redemptive? Yes. And was it the foundation I needed to now lead a church well? 100%. The reason I eventually left is because the pain went beyond me to impacting my wife, and I said, okay, honey, we're done. And that's when it was the timing of the Lord. And actually, nine months was significant. It felt like there was something being birthed in me new. Wow. Wow. Um, we've got a lot of questions here that are around a similar theme. Um, and I guess we'll try and unpack this slightly. But a couple of, one, what's the hardest thing about ministry? And what do you struggle with most in your role as a pastor? So, um, yeah, kind of on the back of what you've just said, really. Yeah. The hardest thing about ministry, the hardest thing, <laughs> I can think of a few hard things. Right. Um, the hardest thing about ministry for me is that there is always another person, there is always another situation, and while that's a great thing, there is never a sense of completion. Mm. So you never leave work going, okay, we finished that project. Because people are not a project, they're a person. Yeah. 
And so you don't ever finish a person. Yeah. You continually work on that. And so there is the pain and the burden of sometimes going, wow, I wish I saw more breakthrough. I wish I saw more fruit here. And again, it goes back to the earlier thing. But the hardest thing for me in ministry would be the people. But the best thing about ministry is the people. Right. Um, and so you can't separate people from the ministry. Otherwise, you separate ministry from the mission. Because the mission are the people of God. Right. And so that is the hard thing, though. Uh, and the hardest thing about being a pastor is always needing to drop the bucket into the well of content, mm. praying that it comes up with fresh water. And let me explain what that means. There is a pressure when you're speaking week in, week out, three times or four times, three times on a Sunday, once on a Thursday, once on a Tuesday, and then oftentimes else t other times. Mm -hmm to put the bucket in saying, okay, God, I need to pull up something fresh. Otherwise, it's something mechanical or rehearsed. Mm. And I really do take when I'm speaking as an opportunity to point people to Jesus. And so that would be one of the challenges is giving something that is a fresh word of God. Wow. Great answer. Thank you. <laughs> this one kind of links on. Um, something you helped me with when I've spoken to you before is some of the criticism you faced over the COVID period, that C mm. word that you said we shouldn't mention. But um, <laughs> how do you deal with critics and criticism in your role? Well, a critic is different than criticism. A critic is somebody who can chronically be caught up in a cycle of negativity. So I deal with critics differently than criticism. Criticism, I'll take to the Lord and say, God, help me determine what is of you here. Help me also distinguish what is not of you here. Mm. So criticism can be constructive, Criticism can also be demonic. You can have a demonic critic who mm. is set about tearing you down, but you can also have a God-positioned person who has a voice of criticism, and you shouldn't be too quick to dismiss that. But a critic is somebody who has the blood type be negative. All they do and all they are is being negative. And so we create distance with them. But again, let me say this. I want my friends close, but my enemies closer. Right. And that might sound ironic. You would want to spend more time with your friends. I purposefully bring critics closer so that I can influence them and also speak into their life. Mm. But in terms of a person who is just spewing vitriol and is internally negative, I would just get in their face and say, what is going on inside of you that you're so desperate to create my attention to be focused elsewhere that you don't want me to see what's inside of you what is happening inside of you? Right. And I just happen to believe in the mystery of the gospel, that is Jesus in us, that I want to pull that out of people, so I will listen. I'm dealing with a situation right now, actually, real time. And a person just wrote me a rocket of an email on Thursday afternoon. And the email is just so unkind, comparing me to somebody else who was very hurtful to them. And what's going on is there is misplaced frustration to where he has put that previous individual's face on my shoulders. So I'm going to help him unpack that when I get home and say, there is an issue here, but the issue is this, it's not here, mm. and help him unpack that. But it's the reality of leadership. If you want everyone to be happy, sell ice cream. <laughs> Steve Jobs said that. Steve Jobs said that. But truly, if you want everyone to be happy, sell ice cream. But if you, ever want, if you want everyone to recognize their potential and their purpose, conflicts can be redemptive when you normalize hard conversations for the kingdom of God. Mm. Wow. Um, this is, 
I th imagine this is in the context of platform communication, but you could, well, you could apply this question on the back of what you've just done. What are your top tips for effective communication in church? And I would even just apply it even within conflict. Like, yeah. how do you deal with that? Um, the key to clarification is simplification. If you want to be clear, be simple. If you want to become portable and memorable, say less to say more. And I would say, unless you believe in the message, don't expect people to believe the message. And unless there is a fire burning inside of you, don't expect there to be a fire burning around you. Mm -hmm. And if it's a mist inside of you, it will be foggy in the pew. Right. And so key to communication is start with a bang, <laughs> be clear, be compelling, point people to Jesus, and then walk away. Um, communication is a big passion of mine. Mm -hmm. I teach a communication class with our church. We do a, uh, a nine-hour class on the voice of a leader. Right. Um, and I would be happy to send you all of that content if you ask the question specifically about your communication. But in terms of normalizing hard conversations, um, let me pivot into that question. <clears throat> Typically, when we have a conflict, we, when we address it with an individual, we make it the last thing that we talk about. So if I have a conflict with Pastor Steve, I might say, hey, Pastor Steve, can we meet? And maybe he's not my pastor, we're friends. But there's a conflict, say, in our relationship. And I say, hey, can we go out for coffee? We need to talk about something. Here is what people typically do. Prior to that point of arranging a one-to-one -one conversation, they have become like a pressure cooker. They're so frustrated. They have not normalized the hard conversation. They have not said the hard things. They have not been willing to address it. And they've presumed upon, in my case, Steve figuring out what's frustrating me. So when I come into a meeting with Steve, Steve might be like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, what's freaking up? I'll tell you what's up. <laughs> and I just lose it. But here's what we do in, in, in conflict. I spend the first 45 minutes talking to him about peripheral subjects and flowery topics, and I don't go to the roots. To deal with a hard conversation, you need to first say, can I have your permission, Steve, to say some hard things today? I recognize that I might be wrong. But I also think there is an opportunity for you to grow here. But ultimately, I think we can both grow here. But I need to get some things off my heart. I need to express them. Please give me grace that I might not say them quite the way I need to say them. Please trust me in that. Please try to hear my heart, not just every word I use. And then immediately I say, can we pray together? Would you mind praying? Because that gives the power to the individual who is the recipient of the problem, maybe. Would you pray for us? And then when they're done, you just go, this is what happened. And I was so hurt by this. And I think you can help me in this place of hurt because I want to love Jesus better. Use more words in the context of explaining your heart, but less words in terms of defining the problem. Let me say that to you again. More words in defining and unpacking who you are, like here's who I am and here's how I think. Less words about the problem, like don't go off. Well, you did this and you did this and you did this. But rather, I statements. I was hurt when I observed this. Right. I felt violated when you did that. I felt upset when you did this. Not you, 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 but I, I, I. And so there is so much to say there as well, but that is how I'd begin to kind of peel back mm. that outer layer of the onion. That's a great answer. So good. It's brilliant. You can say my answers suck too. No, no. Like, that's a terrible that answer. Really <laughs> and you can correct anything that I say. This is your house. <laughs> okay, this one. You have seven children. You're a busy guy. Um, this question is just how do you cope with seven children? <laughs> I love that. Well, 
we went through an intense time as parents with seven children when it was a physically intense time. We have seven children in 11 years. And so uh, our oldest, as I mentioned, was born at Addenbrooke's, the Rosie. Our second was born in Canada, and the other five, as I mentioned, in Colorado Springs. There were lots of times and hours and days where it was physically intense. But I would say at this point, it is more emotionally intense mm. because our kids are adults, and they're learning to adult. They're learning to make choices. Their decisions are no longer about, I want this toy or that toy. <laughs> My oldest son, in the case of him, he's like, Dad, I think I want to buy nine houses. And I'm like, nine houses. So he just bought his 10th house. Oh <clears throat> he wants to invest in properties and then flip them. And it's, he has a much higher tolerance for risk than his dad. <laughs> um, he's like, let's go for it. And uh, it is hard. But how do you parent seven children? You don't check out. You always invest. You pursue and date your daughters to model to them what you want a husband to be. You speak to your sons about what it means to be a good man, a godly man, and you learn your kids' hobbies and you make them your own. Hmm. I learned my kids' passions and I made them my own. I don't understand a single thing about American football, but I've now watched more American <laughs> football than I have watched possibly anything in my whole life because it's their passion. My daughters, I've learned more about creativity and photography and the passions of my girls because that's what they love. So we made the commitment to do something for our kids. The best thing that you can give to your kids if you're married is to have a vibrant marriage. So my wife and I have done a date, a weekly date for 22 years. And so for 22 years, we've gone out on a weekly date. And we purposely don't talk about work, we don't talk about our children, we talk about each other. How are you? How am I? How are we doing? Because then my wife has more to give when she's with them, and I have more to give when I'm with them. But bottom line is, pursue your kids. Make them your, not purpose, but priority in your life. That's good. That's a great answer. Uh, we're, going, we're going all over the place this evening. Um, we've got some interesting questions here still. Um, I'm not going to ask, no. Um, <laughs> but this one, uh, where do you see the church, I think the church with a capital C, as a whole going in this next season? And why do you think that? As in England or in America? Let's go. Or universal church? Let's go global. Ooh. No, let's not go global. Let's do, how can we? Well, if we answer, Why UK and US? Okay. <coughs> okay. We've US. got six minutes left. The US, uh, I, I don't know if I could comment about England, but let me comment about US. Um, in terms of the US, God is doing something in the church to purify the church. God is, God has permitted, I don't believe God ever created this, but God has permitted a personality culture in the American church that was always toxic, but is now demonstrating itself as such. To where if people follow a person, as I tell our church, I will never die for you and I certainly won't rise again for you. Mm. Only Jesus has. And so I would say there is a purif purification happening in the church in America. I would say as well there is a purification as it relates to the crowd mentality or the true congregant. We tell our church as well, don't attend Mountain Springs. Like I've told people, please stop attending Mountain Springs. And everyone looks aghast. And I go, no, 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 don't attend. Attend is passive. Attend is I show up and I sit down. Be Mountain Springs. Mm -hmm. B 
become the mission. So God is doing something in the church right now to where the people that were passive and peripheral are gone. The people that are passionate and connected and purposeful are engaged more than ever before. So there is something of a purification happening in the church. Um, I think personalities are being stripped down. That does, not to, that does not mean to say that there will not always be personalities because there will. And people are prone to want to follow a person. It's what we do, unfortunately. But I think something is shifting there. I also believe that there are some early signs of some form of a spiritual awakening in certain isolated pockets. And it's pertaining to works of justice, not in a political sense. Like in America, social justice has been now taken by a political narrative. And if the church isn't careful because they're trying to distance themselves from what they perceive as a liberal political narrative, they're not doing biblical justice. But the churches that are doing biblical justice, and now there is a difference between cultural justice. Cultural justice is saying, you do what I believe is right and treat people the way I perceive, otherwise you are uh, racist. Biblical justice is every single person has a unique prophetic potential and mandate on their life. And I want to be a part of a church that demonstrates biblical justice, not cultural justice. Biblical justice says, I'm going to do everything short of sin to reach you for Jesus and walk this life out with you to see the kingdom of God come in your life. So I think there is an awakening coming in terms of biblical justice and truly bringing about a work of restoration as we live in the now and the not yet. So good. Gosh, so much in there. What would your biggest thing you would love to see here in the UK um, kind of come over maybe from the American church and vice versa? So what could the American church learn from the church here? There is something about a genuine and authentic, how would I put this? There is something so pure about an English church. And I love coming home because it restores my faith in this thing we call Big C Church. Um, I love people's passion for prayer. I love people's quickness to pray and go after it in worship and the prophetic. I love, there is, it's just something sincere. There is, for the sincerity of English churches, there is sometimes a veneer of American churches. So what do I think America could give to England? A big, bold faith that big is not bad. Someone said to me recently, Big churches are bad, small churches are good. And I said, that's entirely incorrect thinking. A, it's illogical. B, it's dangerous. And C, it's heretical. Um, bad is not big. Bad is bad. And good is good, not associated with size. And so a good pastor is a good pastor, whether they're pastoring a church of 17 in their home or 17,000, it all is predicated upon whether they're good or not. So I would say sometimes the English church believes that to have expansive faith or bold vision or reaching all of East Anglia, the thought is, well, that's quite American. And they shy away from it. No, it's freaking kingdom. Let's reach this nation for Jesus. Let's transform every life, every student, restore every family, meet every felt need in our city. That is not big American thinking. That is big, bold kingdom thinking. So that is what the English church needs. Um, and then what the American church needs is that they need that their faith to be matched by the heart of God, not by their desire to have this sounds really callous, but a bigger budget or a bigger building or more butts in the seats. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're getting it unfiltered, Josh. Yeah, it's great. I'm just saying. It's great. No, and, and I think so. Uh, this summer, we got the opportunity to go and spend a week with with Mountain Springs, and um, that is that big picture like of actually was really helpful for us to see actually let's broaden our horizons and let's not settle sort of thing it's like oh yeah america's not just big cuz it's big but like this is this is a big this is teaching us something about the kingdom of god so yeah we appreciate the time that we had there um have you got any more questions cuz i i hadn't thought of another one <laughs> I like the story of when you told Laurie you were going to marry her. So can you just tell that? <laughs> That's dangerous to say in a room full of young people. Um, so I, I have to preface my answer with a statement. One of my primary spiritual gifts is discernment. So I'm able to look a guy in the eye, and all the guys avert my eyes, but I'm able to look a guy <laughs> in the eye, and I can pretty accurately tell you what are your struggles, where are your identity challenges, and your fears. I don't do so well with a woman, possibly because I don't want to look in your eyes for as long or as deeply. Um, <laughs> no offense. It's just maybe not good for us to have those boundaries crossed, if you know what I mean. But in terms of a bloke, I will stare them down sometimes. And I will just pray and ask God for revelation. Well, all of that is a preface to this question. And you're like, wait, what? So I'm discerning. And so I met Laurie. And within 35 minutes of meeting her, I knew I was marrying this woman. And within an hour, I told her such. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I think we should get married. She's like, you don't even know me. And I was like, yeah, there is a, there, that, that, that would be a good point, actually. <laughs> um, but we got married, and we've been married now almost 28 years. So discernment, all of that is determined by and should be measured by your discernment. And discernment is not, I think I'm discerning. Discernment is evidenced through life wisdom. Do you live with life wisdom? That would equal whether you're discerning or not. But I just saw something in her, and I was like, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And we felt called to go to Canada and the States, but at the same time, both Laurie and I love England, uh, love it. We came back here this summer, and she's like, man, I love this place. And it was so good to rekindle where we first met coming back home. Um, but, yeah. Have you got There's one more. No, you go. Let's close on this one because okay. it's strong. Oh, no, I've got questions, but I feel like they're in. too big. <laughs> well, this one's quite big. Which what would you say to 18-year-old Daniel if you could give him some advice? Yeah. Big question. What would I say to myself? Whew. What would I not say to him? I would say a lot of things to him. Learn the scripture, read the word, treat people well, smile often, remember their names, <laughs> don't take yourself too seriously, take God seriously, and don't overestimate what you could do in the next five years, and don't underestimate what you could do in a lifetime of faithfulness. Thank you so much. A lot of notes taking place in this room mm -hmm. tonight. Yeah, so good. Felt like that went by so fast. It did go very quick. We do have two minutes on the clock. Can though. I use those two minutes? You can use those two minutes. Counseling yeah. center. So I was talking earlier. I believe the young lady's name is Genevieve. Is it Genevieve? 
Yes, about um, the counseling center. So the best thing, I just want to brag on Jesus for a minute. <laughs> um, we are on 19 acres. Our church is situated on 19 acres on the northeast part of Colorado Springs, about an hour south of Denver. And when I stepped into serving in the role of senior pastor nine and a half years ago, after then serving previously many years, I've been there 23 and all, God spoke a word into my life about how every square inch of this 19 acres could be used for the glory of God. And so I started to pray, and I wrote down one afternoon a journal entry as if I woke up on the morning of 2025. This was nine years ago. And I wrote a journal entry thanking God for the church that we had become. So essentially, it's a vision statement, but for me, it was a gratitude statement. It was a gratitude entry. God, thank you for this, and thank you for this. And what I wrote was, I think, prophetic. So I'm getting to the point here of what I think God has done. I have 90 seconds left. Um, we have built a counseling center. We have built an aquaponics greenhouse. We are building a woodworking shop to build bunk beds because there are 7,000 children in Colorado Springs that go to bed every night laying on the floor. We have a food pantry. We have all of these things. Why? Because we believe that God entrusted to us a restorative mandate for those 19 acres. And I'm telling you, it's incredible. So we shared the vision with the church. We sat on it for seven years. By the way, when God gives you a vision, it doesn't mean that you should do it today. And sometimes it's like crockpot Christianity and we want a microwave culture. But I'm telling you, the best way for the vision of God to come true in your life is to put it in a crockpot of faithfulness. Be faithful and let God deliver on that promise. We'll, we put it in the crockpot. After seven years, we told the church and we said, now we sense is the time to build a counseling center. Why? Because our city is just run rampant with trauma, sexual identity questions, and all these things. So we asked the church and in three weeks we raised, and we're not a wealthy church, $400,000. Just had people given above and beyond. People that came in and said, I don't have much money, but I want to sacrificially give $27,000. Another person came in and said, I just got a bonus from work. It was for $50,000. And I'm like, how much do you want to give? And they said, we're giving 55. And people just came in and gave money to build this counseling center. It has already been full. We've had 168 referrals in the last two months. We're already enlarging it because people are finding hope. So our church is paying for people to get kingdom counseling. Here's why. We believe in a holistic mandate. I don't just want people to learn to sing Christian songs on a Sunday. I want them to live Christian lives Monday through Friday as well. And so we, we care about their food poverty. So we're giving them fresh produce from the aquaponics greenhouse. We have fresh living heads of lettuce, and we have thousands and thousands and thousands coming out every week. And we give them trays of lettuce so they have fresh produce. We have a food pantry that fills their pantry. Now we have the children that are sleeping on the floor. One story. I'm a little long. I'm going to try and abbreviate this. We learned of a family that didn't have a bed, so we built the bed for them, and we did everything. You provide the mattress, the sheets, the, bed, the, the equipment, and we built it from scratch. We took it there, and they built the bed in front of this young lady. She was nine years old, and then they gave her the sheets and then said, do you want to make, we said to her, do you want to make the bed? And she goes, I don't know how to make a bed. And we said, well, you surely you know, I've never had a bed. I've always slept on that floor. And in fact, what happened over there in the corner of that room on that floor where my innocence was taken from me as a six-year-old, I've never made a bed. So we trained her how to make a bed. 
So we're now building a woodworking shop because we're going to build, I believe, next year 10,000 bunk beds to give every child a bed in Colorado Springs. <laughs> the counseling center, the wood shop, the aquaponics greenhouse, and the Fresh Start Center. Why? Because we want to restore every square inch of that campus for the glory of God and do a holistic work. There are five acres south of us. We're praying by faith now that we'll be able to buy those, and then we're going to build a sports center so that a family can come onto our campus. They can experience the gospel. They can experience redemption. They can recognize they're not just saved from their story, but for a new story. They can get emotional healing through the counseling center. They can get their pantry filled. They can get their kids in a bed, and then they their kids can go down and be a part of an awesome athletic environment where they can learn to play sport and identify that and then have Christian men and women in our church coaching them into manhood and womanhood for the kingdom of God. I love what God is doing. I had to say that. Hey, let's pray for you before you. you run off. Thank you, Daniel. Lord God, I thank you so much for Daniel. I thank you for all him and Laurie and the team are doing over in Colorado Springs. And I pray you would continue to mm. um, extend your hand of favor on the, into them and the church and the whole area, Lord God. May, as we've heard tonight, may that just continue to expand and expand yeah. and grow. And I pray for Daniel, wherever he goes, Lord God, as he's inputting even this week into churches, Lord God, I, we just thank you for him. Pray blessing over his family yeah. in your mighty name. Thank you, Amen. Lord God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh, Katie. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Amen. So good. Don't you just love the way that Daniel thinks? Isn't it challenging? Isn't it like, oh, yeah, we could take on the world. But yeah, that's big, big picture kingdom thinking. We love it. So good. Right. I'm just sat here. You're in charge. You finish this meeting. <laughs> I think we're done. There's just pizza, so stick around for pizza. We've got a suggested donation of a pound for some Domino's pizza. But if you can't afford, don't don't let that stop you taking pizza. So over here, there'll be pizza. Enjoy, hang around. Coles will be open, and we will see you really soon. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.